We're going to continue on with our, our sermon, now uh, series on friendship with God. And today our, our focus is not so much on the mountaintop, which we looked at last week, at, at, and we looked at Job to look at the mountaintop, which is quite a, a mix, but it was interesting. I think they got the drift of where Job was. If, you, if you've missed some of these sermons, um, they are on the web. You can go to the web and you can listen to the sermon again on the web. So they've been downloaded, so um, you, 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 you don't have to miss the, 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 the series of thoughts that are coming through. And, and can I encourage you that um, you keep to pace with this body of ideas that we are bringing to you because we're, we're trying to bring the Word of God to you. We're trying to bring the Word of God in its, in, in its fullness. And if you miss something about it, sometimes you just miss something and it's like, you know, you can struggle along the, the road and, you know, there is something here that maybe God is actually wanting to say to you that will strengthen you for the thing that you're going through in the day, you know. So if you miss it, Try and get to it later on and, and, and listen again and God will, God will help you. So we're talking with friendship in and through the suffering of life. So today we're talking about suffering. We're talking about mountaintops last week, but we're talking about suffering today and, and God being in the midst of the suffering. And truth is a friend that endures. I want everybody to say that to me. Truth, truth is a friend that endures. Say it again. Truth is a friend that endures. Oftentimes people think that truth is a body of information. No, but not for the Christian. Truth is Jesus, and Jesus is a friend that never fails. He's a friend that endures. So truth is a friend that endures. So I want you to um, recognize that in some of these countries that, that some of our brothers and sisters from Africa have come from, and, and definitely from around the world, there are some terrible places that where terrible things are happening, and They've done studies to, to discover what makes a person survive who's coming through a situation and what makes another person, you know, kill themselves. They can't cope with it any longer. They were studying uh, men who were held in captivity in a prison camp and every day they were held up and uh, they had to shift a cart of sand from there and walk it over to the other side and empty it out over there. And then after they'd done that, they had to load it back onto the cart and shift it from there and take it to the other side of the camp and unload it there. And that was their duty every day they had to do that. And some of the guys in the camp could not handle that drudgery and that, that and they would just go and they'd throw themselves on the wire and they'd get cut down at the wire because they tried to get away. Others saw that there was hope because they had a different frame of mind. They would load the sand on, then unload it off. And in the act of the activity, they had a different way of thinking about this and they survived because they had hope inside of them. If you don't have hope, you won't get there. Hope is the, the thing that brings you through and you've got to get your hope from the enduring relationship that you have with God and his word. There is a God and he cares about you. His name is Jesus and he cares about you. There is hope because there is a father in heaven who knows your plight. He's there and he has spoken to us, the Bible says, through his son. He has spoken to us through his son. So there's a great deception in the world today and the deception is with, in, in regard to the West is with regard to experience and experience that speaks so strongly we think that experience is truth. Experience is not necessarily truth. Experience is not necessarily 
truth. Just because you feel something doesn't necessarily make that feeling true. If I wake up one morning and I look across my bedroom wall and I, and I see my wife laying in bed and she's got her ma- mouth open and sound asleep and she's snoring and I think, I don't think I feel that warm and fuzzy toward her tomorrow. I don't think I feel so loving toward her. That feeling does not make my love any deficient. The feeling is not a statement of truth. I am not losing my love. I'm just noticing that this is not the most beautiful picture of Jenny. That's it. And because I feel that, it doesn't mean I can write a song and say, where is that loving feeling gone? I've lost it now. I've got to go and look for some other loving feeling. Because if I don't feel the love, I don't have the love. Because experience is not necessarily truth. Say that with me. Experience is not necessarily truth. In fact, Jesus says, you want to stop judging by appearances, but to judge with a right judgment. He says, don't look at things the way you think. You might think it's this way. You might be feeling it's this way. He says, stop looking and judging and jumping and, and saying, well, this is the way it is. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, don't judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. So what happens when we place experience above the word of God? Well, we start focusing on the experience as being more real than the truth of God's word. We start seeing that the mountaintop then becomes a, a statement of who we are. If we're going on to a mountaintop experience and we're having really good feelings about this and we're having really high feelings about it, all of a sudden we become something important. We, we lose sight of the fact that God in his eternal plan and program has actually allowed us to go there. We get this, we think it's us. We think it's me and we, and we get addicted to this experience, this high that we get. It's the same when you, whether, if it's a good thing or whether it's a drug addiction, what, you get addicted to the experience. And the experience then becomes the thing that you search for and look for and, and crave after. You keep on going after it. You don't go for the truth, you go for the experience. It's the same in church. You come into church and you can have an experience with God in one situation. It'd be a lovely experience. And then that experience becomes the end of all things. You've got to get that experience again. Sometimes God takes you in and out of experiences. And it doesn't mean that God is not there with you. He's just there with you as you are going in and out of experiences. Sometimes there's times of prosperity and sometimes there's times of lack. Sometimes there's times of fatness and then there's times of thinness. It doesn't matter what you're experiencing. God is constant above all those experiences and you shouldn't judge yourself or the situation by the experience but by the word of God. You see, our society is, is, is governed by the distractions of experience. In fact, we, we, we sell and peddle and, and, and get people hooked on experience. We, we, we do that with the TV. We do it with pop, uh, promotional work, uh, advertising. It's all out there designed to make you feel good. You know, the reason why you're going to go and get a Coke is because when you look at the adverts for Coke, it's always young, gorgeous people dancing around, drinking Coke, and having a fantastic time. And so you want to have that experience, so you think that experience is connected to the Coke, and they actually told you it is. 
Life is Coke, they said in the first thing. Coke is life. So, you know, if you don't have Coke, you don't have life. And that's what they said years and years ago. I don't know what they are now. I haven't watched them lately. But generally the same picture is there. They're selling the experience, the belief, not the product. And you, you look and you see, well, you start feeling that way. You start thinking that way. You start looking and searching for experiences rather than having your life based on the Word of God and and coming through the Word of God. When we go through a really deep, dark and miserable time, the experience of darkness, the experience of brokenness, the experience of tragedy in our lives, the brokenness of heart, then becomes so real we might go through some mental illness or something. All of a sudden, the experience becomes our identity. It's not, it's, it's, it's all of a sudden I am the, the pain. I am the horrible experience. And we can come sometimes get secure in that experience. We can get ex- secure in our pain. You say, how would, why would you? Some people like living miserably. If, how are you going? Oh, very miserable today. Well, every time I talk to you, you're miserable. Yeah, I know. That's just the way I am. I am miserable. You're going through a miserable time. Your misery is not you, it's what you're experiencing. You are different to your misery. You see, what we do is we attach ourselves to the experience and we become. So I become, I'm wealthy, I'm rich, I've got money, I think, you know, well I don't, but if I think that, then I am successful and I am important and I am, I'm all of those things because that's what I am. And I walk like I am. And I talk like I am. And I pretend I am. Because I'm saying my experience equals me your experience does not equal you you are separate to your experience and somebody who's broken and going through tragedy in their life they can walk around like this and terrible things happening to them all the time and you think it becomes their expression of them that's what they are that's who they are that's the way they think but that's not what the word of God says you are going through all of these things and those Experiences are just a distraction to the real issues in life. There's some doctrinal disaster waiting for those who put experience over the Word of God. You say, well, I'd like to believe that God will do something, you know, and then I'll wait and I'll pray and I'll pray, and then maybe God will do something really bizarre. Or maybe God doesn't do something bizarre. Maybe just something happens that's bizarre. And then if something happens that's bizarre, I think, well, I was praying and then there's something happened and it was bizarre. You know, it was, it was crazy. You know, I was praying for this bloke and he started to bark like a dog. Roof, roof, roof. And I think, well, that's pretty crazy. You know, well, that was God moving there, was it? Was it God moving there that he was barking like a dog? It's an experience, we know he's barking like a dog, but was it God making him bark like a dog? Well, if you go to the Word of God, the Word of God says that if you, if you see something like that, there's a number of things it could be. It could be the person himself barking like a dog because he thinks he can fool you. It could be a demonic spirit manifesting through him that's barking like a dog. And if it's God, well, there would be something in it that would be edifying and building up because anything that comes from God edifies and builds you up and if there's nothing edifying and building up well we've got two but we don't have the other one so we'd have to judge it we'd have to judge our experience by the word of God 
If you don't judge your experience by the Word of God, your experience will tell you what the Word of God is saying, not the Word of God telling you what your experience is saying. Then you get that. Let me give it to you again slowly. If you judge your experience or the Word of God by your experience, if you judge the Word of God by your experience, you'll be telling the Word of God what it is saying. But if you judge your experience by the Word of God, God will define your experience for you. In a, in a place where there's lots of crazy stuff going on in the world, you need to have the bedrock from which you stand doctrinally. Your experience is not bedrock. It changes. It fluctuates. It's just something that happens. When you've got the highs and when you've got the lows, you tend to conclude certain things. You come to the conclusion of certain things when you judge yourself by your experience. And one of the conclusions is that I am the center of all things because you're experiencing it, you are the center. This is postmodernism. This is where we live in our society. Postmodernistic society says, you know, the most important person in the world is you. So for Claudia, the most important person in the world, for Claudia, if she's a postmodern girl, I don't think she is, I think she's a Christian, but she's, she would be hurt. Whatever it's in her life, you know, it doesn't matter what's happening around her. In the end of the exercise, it's just what Claudia wants to do. That's the only thing that's important. Everything else is secondary. The most important person in the whole universe, the center of the whole universe is Claudia. And everything else is submitted to that. That's where we are in our society in the West. We live there. You wonder, why do young people do what they do today? Why do old people do what they do? Because they are the center. It's about me and my experience, what I want. So experience, if we are hunting for experience, becomes the goal that we're looking for rather than something that we're just going through. Experience is the journey. The goal is Jesus. When experience becomes the goal, you start losing your head because you start chasing things that are crazy. Okay, here's the mountaintop experience and here's a valley experience. And here's what happens when we start concluding. The mountaintop, here's the deception. If you're right on top, you've got all the money, you've got all the fame, you've got all the power, you're going to think that you are more than you really are. Well, I, you know, if you, well, you know, I got what it takes, hey. You're going you're gonna to be thinking, I'm successful. You're thinking, I'm worthwhile. See, I'm more worthwhile than you because I got more than you. Therefore, because I got more than you, I'm worth more than you. I'm worthwhile more than you. In fact, if you don't have what well, I, I don't know why you are, you are just worthless. If you're not experiencing what, you know, we look at the poverty in the world today and the people that are, you know, they're there. Why? Because they're there because they are worthless. They won't get up and work. But if they work like me and be worthwhile like me, then they'll achieve something. You heard that nonsense. You've heard that. That's what comes with that. That's the conclusions that come. And then we usually say, we're Christians, if God gives me stuff, he loves me. If he takes stuff away from me, he hates me. 
That's what we generally feel. We think, oh, well, I just lost some money. Oh, God hates me. He's not looking after me. God doesn't love me anymore. You know, we, we get all depressed and we get upset because we struggle because we think that God is, why have you forsaken me, God? Why, what has happened? I lost my car. Somebody stole my goods. You know, why are you doing this to me, God? It's like God doesn't love you. You see, you're judging by the experience rather than you're judging by the Word of God. We have to come to the Word of God. The Word of God helps us judge correctly. And it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, and this is Paul speaking, he says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to every person, to each person. He's saying, look, you just get your head squared away and stop thinking big things. And th- Don't judge by appearances because it can be incredible. You think that a person who's got lots of money is going to be very, very happy. You think so. You think so. People who, people who win millions and millions and millions of dollars, bang, jackpot, you think, ah, oh, their life would be very happy. You know what? Statistics tells us they top themselves before other people do. Oh, they top themselves, they kill themselves, they commit suicide at the same rate as people who lose all their money. Why? Because losing money and winning money is not what makes you happy and it's not going to bring you happiness. You see... Happiness is not the experience. It's your faith in Jesus, the joy that you have in God that's going to bring you some settledness. So these things, he says, don't, don't lose your head about it. Don't think of yourself too big, you know. Think sensibly, soberly minded. Be sound in your thinking. Think correctly about your experience in yourself. So what happens when we place the word of God above our experience? Okay, if we place the experience above the word of God, then we're telling the word of God what it's saying. If we place the word of God above our experience, what happens then? We get a balanced view of what really is happening. And why is that? Because we don't, we're not caught in the situation. You know, there's a thing called subjectivity. Everybody say that word, subjectivity. Subjectivity. New, new word for you, subjectivity. Subjectivity means I see it from my perspective, from the way I see it. That's a very bad way to see things because you can't see it from any other person's perspective. Objectivity is seeing it from other people. I say objectivity. Objectivity. That's seeing it from other people's perspective. So when you look at your life and it's subjective, you're looking at yourself and saying, this is the way it is for me, it's subjective. You're saying, this is it. This is it. You may not be seeing it right. It may be twisted in your mind. It may be blurred somehow. It may be colored. You're not seeing it how it really is. Someone outside could see it. But, you know, if somebody outside is looking at you and thinking, well, that's not what I see. You think you're smart, but I don't think somebody's smart. I think it's not quite like that. And they're seeing a different, but they're seeing it from their subjectivity. We need somebody who can see it from a place where there is no subjectivity and there is complete objectivity. And the only place that we can go to get somebody who can see it like that is God. He sees it as it really is and he knows it as it really is and he can judge as it really is. 
So we need to go to God and find out, God, what do you think about my experience? What do you think about where I am? What do you think about's going on here? You've got to take your eyes away from what's happening and where you are and the circumstance in which you're swirling around you. And you've got to put your eyes back into God and say, God, show me what to think about myself from your perspective. It's a bit difficult if you haven't spent some time with God lately. When you see it from God's perspective, you discover that you are not the center of the universe. That the great I am is the center of all things. Not you, I am. No, he is the great I am. And he is the center of everything. So when you get it from his perspective, the mountaintop reality becomes something like this. It's Jesus, not me, you know. God lifts up one and he puts down another. One day I have nothing and the next day I have lots. You know, and how did this happen? Was it me? No. No, it wasn't me. It was God because God is the one who lifts up one and puts down another. It's all Jesus. Jesus did this. You've got a clear understanding that there is a God who's in control of all those situations and he's the one who's ordering those things in your life. You don't get anywhere in God because God worketh the counsel. He worketh all things to the counsel of his own will. God determines what happens. Even if you don't like it, God determines it happens. He allows by his sovereign will things to happen. If it's bad and it's happening to you, God is allowing it to happen to you. Get over it. It's God's perspective. You can get through it. He can take you right through it. If it's good and it's happening to you, it's not because you're a goody two-shoes and worth more than the next bloke beside you. It's because God is allowing it to happen. It's his sovereign will that is happening. God is the center of it. Not you. We often go, well, you know, I did this. You inflated. Two seconds later, we're on the bottom. Now what? I pray for somebody. I pray for James. And oh, God, I ask Jesus to heal him from his sickness. Oh, in Jesus' name. And he gets up. I'm healed. Oh, yeah. I got power in the arm. The hand, I pray for this one, I pray for Jesus, and she dies. Oh! Well, if I take the praise here, I have to take the condemnation here. Eh? If I can't produce it twice, listen to me. It's God in his sovereignty who does what he wills. And you are just the vessel. You are just the servant. You are just moving with him. You are just working with him alongside him. Here's the power. Here's the center. Here's the source. Not you. From God's perspective, he's the one who lifts up. He's the Lord. He's in control. No matter what you're going through, he knows it. And you know what? Whether you're on the mountaintop, he loves you. Whether you're at the valley, he loves you. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. He is with us. He loves us. No matter what we're experiencing, God loves you. He cares about you. He's with you. You've got to get that through into your head because your experience will tell you, look at the situation. Look at the situation around you. Can't you see God doesn't care about you? Look at how much it's costing you. Look at how much they're hurting you. Look how much they're saying about you. Can't you see God doesn't care? You need to lift your head from the circumstances around you. Put your eyes into Jesus and say, Jesus, you still love me. It's not your experiences that the center of the whole universe. It's God who's at the center of the whole universe. 
He's the center of all things. So how do we discover and understand God's perspective? That's a good question, Mark. I'm glad you asked it. How do we discover God's perspective? Turn to your neighbor and say, how do you find out what God's thinking? Ready? One, two, three. Turn to your neighbor and ask them, how do you find out what God's thinking? Oh, say, I want an answer. Okay. Uh, did they give you an answer? Pray. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And we know that that was true. The prophets did some amazing things through the Old Testament. If you read through the judges and read through the prophets, you can see the amazing things that the prophets did to communicate to the people where they were. They wanted to communicate God's perspective to them. They said, listen to us. God says this is what's going on. This is what's happening in our country. This is what God is going to do to you now to try and help you to get through the situation. They would give them instruction that would come directly from God. God would say, Isaiah, go to them and say. Hezekiah, go to them and say. Obadiah, go to them and say. Amos, go to them and say. Malachi, go. go. Malachi, I mean, just a little joke there. You wouldn't get it unless you read your Bible. Last, the only Italian author in the Bible, Malachi. Still don't get it, you know. It's Malachi. It's a Greek. It's a Hebrew name. Just how you pronounce it. It's not funny for people who don't understand it. That's okay. It's my little joke. Sneaker, sneaker. He would speak to the prophets, and he would tell the prophets to go and tell the people his perspective. Isaiah says, "My thoughts are not your thoughts," says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. And then he said, you need to change the way you're thinking to get to think the way I'm thinking. That's what God was saying to him. So God communicated through the prophets in many different ways. And in various ways, he, and in these last days, he, he's spoken to us through his son, it says. So Jesus is now speaking to us by the Holy Spirit. He came, he, he came to earth, he came and walked around the earth and he started to talk and he declared and, and showed God to people around him. Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, have I been with you all this long that you don't know me? The issue was, you know, if you see me, you see the Father. If you see Jesus, you see Almighty God. Everything that Jesus said, everything that he did, everything he functioned, everything that he moved. You go through the Bible, you start reading about Jesus. You read what he did, you watch what he did. You're looking at the Father heart of God living it out through Jesus. He says, I do nothing of my own initiative. I only do what the Father tells me to do. That's what he said. He said that he was going to reflect God's glory and his radiance to us. So when we look at Jesus, when we read the Bible, when we read the accounts of what Jesus was doing, what you're actually reading is God the Father demonstrating himself on behalf of humanity through Christ. That's what you're seeing. You want to know what God's perspective is? Read your Bible. You will get to see God's view about things. You will see what Jesus is doing. You know, how many people did Jesus heal on a daily basis? One, two, many sometimes? But uh, many if you think many. M- many. Are you going to go with many? Jesus healed many? 
Sometimes you'd go to a place and he'd heal everybody that was there. Sometimes you'd go to one place and he'd heal one man and everybody else didn't get it, but just one person lying there. What, what does it tell you about the heart of Jesus towards healing? You know, heart of God says to Jesus, go and heal the sick. What does God think about sickness? He wants to heal it. You see, you get a picture of the Father God through looking at what Jesus does. This is simple. What is Father like? What's Father like? What's Father like? Look at Jesus. He'll show you what Father is like. We want to know what God's perspective is. And especially in difficult times, we want to know what God's perspective is. When things are really difficult for us and, the, and, and it's hard and it's, and it's, and it's painful and, it's, and we're suffering, when things are really, really hard for us, we want to know what God's perspective is. Are we being belted by a God who doesn't care about us? Or are we going through a trial that, the God, that God who loves us is walking with us through? What is God's perspective of the trouble that I'm going through? A young mother will go through many difficulties as she's trying to raise a child. Martin is just beginning to raise her first son. And she was probably sitting up at night saying, Oh, this child has just wanted to stay at night, awake all night, and doesn't want to sleep all the night. And she'll be tired and she'll be drained, and then she'll be feeling difficult things will happen to her body and for, in a situation that she, Oh! And you know, what's she going to do? Is God against me? No, this is a process. This is a, an experience. And God is there in the midst of it. He knows what it is to sucker a child. He knows what it is to, to, to take someone up and to have to change nappies. He's changed mine all my life. Every time I mess myself up, I come to Father God. God, change my nappy. Clean it for me. I'm sorry. Help me to understand. He knows what that's like. He is Father. He understands that. We're told in the scripture, he says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory. That means he's shining out. Everything you see in Jesus is like the radiance of God's glory. You see, the word glory, he said last week, is the word doxa in the Greek. And the word doxa in the Greek at its root means opinion. So I know that glory means shining forth, but it has this idea. The shining forth that's coming out is the opinion of God. It's the ideas of God that are being manifest out. So you see God displaying his love. He's displaying his light. He's displaying his holiness. He's displaying his care and compassion. He's shining out. That's his opinion. We say, oh, it's glorious. We are just amazed by the healings that took place. His opinion is that you shouldn't be shackled with sickness. That you should press into God for healing. That's his opinion. That's the glory of Jesus. He came to seek, save those who, uh, who, are, who are lost and he came to heal those who are sick. That's his opinion. That's his glory. And so we're told the exact, he's the re, exact weapons. He's, and he's sustaining all things by the word of his mouth. The powerful word of his mouth. The question really is, how much of the word of God do I have? How much of the word of God do I have? Because he sustains all things by his powerful word. I mean, if I haven't spent time in his word, then I would probably struggle in my adversity because there's nothing to sustain me. His powerful word is not within me. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, it says in in Psalm 190. If you didn't hide the word of God in your your heart, well, then you're not going to know what his opinion is, and you're going to go and sin, aren't you? Because that's you. 
You hide his word within your heart. You know what's right and you know what's wrong. And you can choose then. You don't hide it. You say, oh, well, I know it. So I feel it's kind of wrong. But my experience is more important than, well, I just don't want to do this thing, you know. And then, oh, I feel really bad after I've done it. I've got this guilt now. Yeah, it must have been wrong. Hey, you would have got that before you, if you got into the word of God. God can sustain you with his word. You know, there's this thing going down in our society. And I... And, and I We have to pay due diligence. I mean, he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who, need, who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, we take a Bible and we think, well, everything that we need for life is in this Bible. You know, Jesus is... And we get this idea that we're having a relationship with black print on white page. This is not a relationship with God. This is black print on white page. You sit here, you, sit here, you read... Uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You think, oh, it's so boring. And you go to sleep before you get to the next verse. You see, you've got a problem at the reading point. You've got a problem at the understanding of this. This is just not black words on white pages. There's the Spirit of God who is accompanying this. And as you sit with the Word of God, and you sit there and you understand that Jesus is with you because he said, I'll never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. And you take the word of God and it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And I, and I stop and I think, what, are you going to show me a photo album, Lord? Are you going to show me a photo album of your descendants on the earth? Oh, I'm starting to get interested now. How do you see your descendants? How did you record your descendants? And you'll be surprised when you go through the descendants, the certain people he put on his family line. You would think that he would put nice people in his family line. He put a prostitute in there. He put a woman who committed adultery in there. He put a whole lot of different things in there. He put Rahab in there. He put Tamar in there. He put women that you wouldn't say, mention. You've got those people in your past history. You've got those people in your family that you don't, don't mention Uncle George. We don't talk about Uncle George. Why is that? Because we wish he wasn't in the family. No, no, Jesus put them right out there and he put them in the bag and said, you know what? They're in there. So you can learn something. And it's like, yeah, you want to talk to me about this. You want to speak to me while I'm reading the black print on the white page. You want to speak to me about this. Yes, he says, I want to talk to you. So I'm not sitting down with a Bible by myself trying to get white, uh, black words in, into my head. I'm sitting down with Jesus Sitting down with him, and he's talking to me, speaking to me, and I'm speaking to him. There's a divine relationship going on here. That's what's happening. This is all scripture. This, this is the book, all scripture. He says, is God breathed? It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that you be equipped for every good work. Now, listen to me. That, they're not really nice words. We, we, we don't like being taught something, especially, you know, because we can do it ourselves. You know, we, at an early age, I'll do it, I'll do it. Then we say, oh, well, someone has to teach you how to do it because you don't know how to do it. Are you, are you calling me dumb? No, we're not calling you dumb. You just need to be taught sometimes. Sometimes you need to be taught. Don't get antsy about being taught. Yes, it's good to be taught. And it's and rebuking. Well, what's the rebuke? Rebuke is stop that. It's wrong. You want to stop that? that you know, look, a rebuke says don't do that again. That's a rebuke. Well, the Word of God is good for rebuking too. Oh, I don't think I like that one. I only want to read something that's going to make me feel good because my experience is more important than anything else. 
Don't make me read anything that makes me feel down. Don't make me read anything that will actually confront me. I don't want to be confronted in life because I'm the center of the universe. Yes, your experience is more important than the word of God. Friends, listen to me. This will speak to you honestly. It will speak to your heart and it will rebuke you if you're doing the wrong thing. It will say, stop it. It will tell you to stop it. Everybody say, stop it to your friend. Whatever you're doing, stop it. Whatever's wrong, stop it. You might not take it from a friend, but the Word of God is good for it. It will tell you to stop it. No one else, everybody else you you pray, why is it wrong? Everybody's doing it. Well, just take some, have a smoke, you'll find it's nice. It makes you feel really good. Take half your brain away, but it'll make you feel good. Why is it wrong? The Word of God will say, stop it. Your friends will say, you can keep on going, but the Word of God says, don't. I like that. I like that. Give me something honest. Give me something that will be real with me. Give me something that will speak the truth to me in the times when I need to hear it. Give me something that will confront me and stop me before I go over. Not just something to fix me up at the bottom of the cliff, but a fence at the top that stops me going over. What do you want? You want something just for your ears because they're itching? Or do you want the truth? Do you want the empowered truth of God coming at you to speak to you? And it's good to correct you. And it's good to train you in the right way. I love the Word of God because I'm going to get confronted. If I'm heading in the wrong way, he's going to, if, if Elliot's going in the wrong direction and he, and he picks up the Word of God, you can be sure that God will use that opportunity when he picks it up to speak straight to his heart. You can be sure. Why? Because he's faithful. He loves Elliot and he will use that word to speak to Elliot. You know, well, this is what we do and this is not what Elliot does. I know he wouldn't do this. We know that God will do that. So we put our Bible under the bed. We put our Bible in the cupboard. We put our Bible on the floor. We close it up so we don't look in it. And then one day, maybe a month or so later, we'll come to it and we'll pick it up and say, just have a look. Bang! And he gets you. You see, it's living. It's alive. You've found it. You know it. You've opened it. It's spoken to you. It's cut you, it's, 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 it's blessed you, it's, it's picked you up, it's put you down. You know the God of this word, he's living in the word. He's living in it. And if you don't want to hear the correction, if you don't want to hear the righteous rebuke, if you don't want to hear what God is saying, you know the best thing to do with that is put it on the shelf and don't read it. Because you pick it up and open it and he will speak to you. Amen? You believe me. Okay, this is what's happening in our di- days. Amos says this. God, he says, I will send a, God says, behold, there's a day, says the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, and not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but one of hearing the, word of, the words of the Lord. So he's saying, there's a famine coming. God told Amos that there was a famine coming, that he was sending a famine. And he said, you're not going to be able to go out anywhere. You won't hear the word of God anywhere. It's not a famine for bread. 
not a famine for water. But this famine is, you won't be reading the Word of God, you won't be hearing the Word of God, you won't be seeing the Word of God acted in front of you. There'll be nothing around you. Everybody will be doing whatever is right in their own minds. This is where we live in, friends, in our society. One of the major areas in our society which has been attacked of late is this whole idea of literacy. Literacy, the ability to read. Uh, you, you guys who come from Africa, you guys from coming from different places, Iran and different places, you come here, it's difficult for you to read English. And when it's difficult for you to read English, it can, it can, sometimes, it can sometimes be easier not to push on to learn to read than it is to read. And those in Australia who maybe had a hard time and they haven't come through, have a great education. I, I went to New, Ze- New Guinea when I was a little lad from three to, that's where I met my wife in New Guinea at three years old. And that's when God said, she's nice, so I married her later. But when I came home, I had learned to speak some one talk or pidgin English and stuff like that. So when I came home to Australia about five years old, I just didn't, just, I just didn't have all of that English stuff, you know. It was difficult for me to learn English. English wasn't my favorite subject, you know. So I didn't read. They, they say, Mark, take your little book out, go outside and sit out there, and you read the little book and bring it back when you finish reading it. So I say, yes, okay. And I take my little book out, and I sit up in the, 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 the cat, the, the, the cat, the, 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 the cat... Oh, look at that. You see those birds over there? Did you see that? They're actually attacking that little crow. Yeah, oh, look at that. Oh, the bell's gone. Okay, here's the book. You see, it was easier to look around and play than it was to actually read the cat sat on the mat. So I actually found I had to go to remedial classes to learn how to read. You have heard me read sometimes. You have heard it. It's difficult for me. I don't like reading. But I read Because in reading, there is life that comes through the word when you read. So you discipline yourself to read. I know it's not nice sometimes, but you do it anyway. There's a famine in the land. And our young people today, so many young people would rather look at something, have the screen dancing in front of them and listen to something, have the the music vibrating their head, rather than to pick up a book and to read a book. And if you don't pick up a book and read a book, you're not going to pick up the word of God and read the word of God. You won't do it. You just don't want to. It doesn't suit me. It doesn't feel nice for my experience. But experience isn't on top. Word is on top. So we need to read the word. Listen to what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. And this is talking about the very last days before Jesus comes back again. And this is why it's so important for you to understand what I'm saying today. Yes, this is in the context of hard and difficult times. Listen to me. The coming of the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders to serve a lie. So what he's saying, he's going to use all kinds of experiences, miraculous experiences, to serve the lie. God says, in the end times, he says, there's going to be guys coming down and they're going to walk around like that and they're going to go, and something's going to happen. And you're going to think, whoa, look at that, that must be God. 
Be careful. If you don't read your word, you're going to be deceived because the deception's coming. There are going to be all these experiences that you can look at and say, it must be God. Look at that experience. Look at that experience. That guy, you know, look at that. It must be God. Stop. We're told, the word of God tells us in the end times, he says, this is how, exactly how Antichrist is going to come in. He's going to be able to do all these miraculous things. And you, if you think that experience is more important than the word of God, you are fodder for deception. You're ready to be taken out. Hear me now. Hear me now. He says, and they, he says all kinds of, Signs and wonders to serve a lie, and all the ways of wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because, listen to what he says, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Oh, you know, the Bible is old. The Bible is an ancient book. What has it got to do with the 21st century? We are a different people now. Look at what the science is saying about creation. Look at what the science is saying about evolution. You know, I can't believe the Bible anymore. I refuse to believe the truth, so I am fodder for a lie. Oh, taken away. Just simply like that. If I don't believe the truth, I'm ready to be deceived. And God says, we're going to sort it all out in the end. He says, we're going to find out those who love God and love the truth and those who don't. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to send some experiences your way that you're going to send and say, wow, look at those experiences. Those experiences are amazing experiences. And if you don't know what the Word of God says, you're going to be deceived by the experience because the Word of God is over the experience, not the experience over the Word of God. You're hearing me. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion that comes from God because he's sorting it out. That's what God does. He sorts it out. Jesus, when they came and they were eating at the dinner and they come and they want to make him king, he sat down and says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He sorts it out. All these crowds running after him, he says, unless you hate your mother, sister and brother and everybody else, and you, unless you hate your own life, he sorts them out. Jesus sorts it all out. He finds out who, they lo- who loves him and who doesn't love him. He, he'll throw a wobbly one in there and he'll just watch you wobble. He'll find out whether you've got realness inside of you, whether you really want to have Jesus and really want to have the way of life or whether you're just playing a game he'll sort it out for this God for for this reason God sent them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness God has got it all planned so how do we discover and understand God's perspective in a valley situation Hebrews chapter 4, verses 40, and I've written those references down there. And the reason I've written them, and I haven't actually given you the references, because the test is, if you think it's important, you will write the reference down and go away and read it. I I could put the words up there, you could just read the words. But I want you to do something later on. If you write the word down, go away later and read it. Because there's something in the art of reading and communicating with God. He says in the Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Seeing then that we have a, a great high priest, this is Jesus, who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in, the, in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
So Jesus knows exactly what it's like to go through the hard time. He went through all of those difficult times on earth. He went through the suffering, the pain on earth. He knew it. He experienced it. He can sympathize with you. He knows what it's like. He understands. I might not understand, but he does. And he wants to help you. He was all points and he never sinned. He says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You see, Jesus has been there. He knows what it's like. So when I go to Jesus, he can understand my my situation. I listen to some stories from different ones that come from around the world and I, and I just... I just I just shake my head because I, I cannot even conceive of what that would be like to have to go through that. It's just, I mean, I, I don't understand it. Some things I can understand because I've had equal experience, but there are some things I just don't know what would it be like, you know? But I know this one thing. There is one who does know what it's like and who can sympathize with you and can help you. And you are asked to draw near to him. How do I draw near to him? Jesus, if you're in the room, come to me, my sister. Draw near to me. That would be easy if we had a Jesus in the room, wouldn't it? I could comfort if uh, if Jesus was standing here. Wow, what a great man. It would be easy. Have you seen Jesus lately? I want to find Jesus because I need a hug. Do you know where I can find a hug? I come to church and I need a hug. No one's here to hug me. My experience with that church is horrible. (laughs) No one hugs you at that church. Or you might go to that church and they hug you. I don't like that church. It's too huggy. You can't win, really, can you? You know, but you've got to meet Jesus. Jesus is the one. We, do, we want to find Jesus. Where do you find Jesus? Where do you get a hug from Jesus? I want a hug from Jesus. You say, oh, don't tell me, Mark. Don't, don't tell me you're going to get a hug from the Word of God. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to tell you. Because when I was young and silly and I did sinful things and when I repented and came to Jesus he said to me I want you to stay in the room with me and talk with me and not go out and party and have your experience in the party time I said I want to go and party because that's what I usually do on a Friday he said no you can't party he says come and sit and talk with me I sat and I sat with his word and I talked and I looked at his word and he as I was reading his word I felt a divine hug on the inside I got it here inside. Jesus hugging me on the inside. As I read the words, he's speaking to me. He's telling me. He's correcting me. He's leading me. He's guiding me. And I'm feeling the power of God coming to me through the word as I'm hugging his word. You know, I got to love his word so much. I would walk around. I think, I just don't know why. I, feel, I just love this book so much. You'll hear people who give their lives to Jesus. They pick up the word of God and all of a sudden, it's like they can't put it down. It's like they want it all the time. They just want it. They, they, oh, this, is, this is my book. This is my book. This is Jesus. He's speaking to me. But you get the hug. 
come draw near to him with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and your body washed with pure, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, it says in, in James. Draw near to God. Get into the word of God. Say, God, I'm going to expose myself to you now, Jesus. I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to pick up. The, I know I'm not in the right place, but I'm going to pick up the Bible and I'm going to pick it up and the, the words speak to me. They speak to me. I might be despairing. I, I can't, haven't got enough to do what you want me to do. And then I read it and, and I fl- it flicks open in Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about, don't worry about what you eat or what you drink. He says, God knows these things. Seek first the kingdom of God. Think, oh, that's just what I needed to hear. I know, says Jesus. I'm with you. I'm here with you in your word. Read me. Feel me now what he wants you to do you see we talked last week about these ideas about intimacy and friendship a true friend we said at the beginning that truth is a friend that endures we talked about these eight things about friendship these are the elements of friendship that produce lasting friendship in our lives where we have these elements We know that our friendship is secure and it will last for a long time. Where any of these elements have been taken out of our relationship with somebody, we know that those friendships have dropped off. They are now acquaintances, but we are not close with these people. What are those? There they are, intimacy. Intimacy. There is a personal close trust contact with a person. Proximity. You keep crossing paths with them. Self-disclosure, you talk to them about what's your secrets and they talk to you about what their secrets are. You talk to each other about your, your heart's secrets. There's this reciprocity, which means, you know, they give to you and you give to them. You share together. It's all together in one thing. It's this responsiveness. There's this responsiveness of he feels the pain I feel. He knows my situation and I feel his pain. I look at people who are lost in the world and I, and I see them running after things that are... And I, think, I feel the pain of Jesus when I, when, I, when I see them. I think they're dying and going to hell. This is help. I want to help. And he wants to help. And we all want to help each other. Accessibility. He's always there for me. In the middle of the night, when I awake after a dream, a bad dream, he's there to discuss it with me. In the middle of the night, when I wake and I'm fearful of the coming day, he's there to speak peace into my situation. In the middle of the day when I'm flustered and and, and frustrated and and, and running at wit's ends and so many people wanting so many pieces of me and I don't have enough to give anywhere and I'm running out, he's there to sustain and to overflow, to give me abundance so that I have everything that I need for all situations. He's there. He's constantly there. And I stop and I say, "I I need a break. I need to sit. I don't bother to ring... I just pick it up and I open it up and start talking to him about my life, about what his desire is for it. And he supports me. These very elements that are real for your relationship with one another and and are, are true for lasting friendships are true for your relationship with God's word and the spirit of Jesus through the word of God. Exactly the same. 
If you don't feel that God is with you, it's because you refuse to take the word of God into your hand and welcome him into your experience. He sees your experience. He knows your experience. Take the word of God. Say, I'm confused in my experience, Jesus. Give me clarity. Confusion is not of God. Oh, I don't like the idea of that. What I think I just read there, I think, oh, I'm going to have to change something in my life to move on with Jesus. Wouldn't you love a friend who would tell you the truth? Wouldn't you love a friend who would be there? Someone who would provide for you? Wouldn't you love somebody who's there continuously with you? Jesus is there for you, friends. The, the trouble with, and I'm not going to, I'm closing here now. The trouble with, with, with our experience is that our experience is there to deceive us into looking at it. Focus on it. What God wants you to do is recognize that your experience is just part of the journey and to keep your eyes on him. It does not matter what you go through. You can be broken down and crushed down but not broken. You can be hungry but not starved to death. You can go through all the grisly stuff and Jesus can be through all of that with you. You can be on the top of the mountains and jumping from mountain top to mountain top and Jesus be all there through that to you. The big thing, take your eyes, don't fix them on what is seen, fix them on what is not seen. The things that are not seen are eternal, the things that are seen are temporal. Your experience is a moment, the word of God is eternal. Put your experience underneath the word of God Use the word of God to understand your experience. Amen? Let's pray. God, we ask you to help us with this word. There is so much that we kind of learn, Father, from your word. And in all of this, Father, we understand that there is a will to do this, oh God. Your word says in Psalm 101 that you make your people willing in the day of your power. So I'm asking, Lord Jesus, that you would make this fellowship willing to pick up your word, willing to meditate in your word both day and night. Lord, that they would be like a tree that's planted by rivers of living water, that they would bear forth their fruit in their season, O God, and that their leaf would not wither, Father. No matter what would happen, Father, they'll be drawing from you, that you would be the vine, Lord Jesus, and we would be the branches that the good sap would flow into us, Lord Jesus, in spite of every situation that we face. Lord, I pray for this congregation today that you help them to press in there, to learn to walk with you, Father. Through your word we pray. Jesus, you are the word. Sanctify them by thy word. Your word is truth. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.